Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Fitz Nation. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Had a little fun this week, and instead of a fighter, well, she's kind of a fighter. She did have a pro fight, and we get all into it. But Laura Senko, as you know, she's more well-known for her work on the UFC broadcast, of course, and she has not missed a single episode in four seasons of Dana White's Contender Series. She talks to the fighters after they win. She talks to Dana to get the word on the contracts and then the fighters again after they've made it to the UFC fulfilling their dream. But what many people don't know is the MMA experience that Laura had and really her background in the sport. And uh, as I said, even taking a pro fight, uh, I always love chatting with Laura and working with her on the Contender Series and some of the shared experiences that we've had, whether it's travel internationally or just domestically, wherever. I think what I appreciate is her background in MMA and her kind of drive to improve in the broadcasting realm. And then I think from her end, she likes the experience and the expertise that I have on the broadcasting side. And the fact that I've dove into MMA headfirst and love the sport as much as I do. So we kind of have that that cross of expertise and then wanting to improve in the other area. And she's just really funny and always great to hang out with. Um, the Contender Series is a special part of our journey together. And you add in Felder and our little three-pack um, when we just finished this last season last week, uh, it almost felt like graduation in a sense because we were – capping off the fourth season we couldn't believe we've already done four seasons of the contender series and uh, we were all able to work on the broadcast and know that there's going to be many more years of it but it's always special when when we get together and I thought that she would make a perfect guest with her background in the sport and her journey into becoming a broadcaster and just the fact that we always have a great time when we chat with one another so on this Thanksgiving week I thought what better guest than the one and only Laura Sanko. Okay, Laura. I hit record. Let's go. Let's do it. Is this weird? To We talk to each other in this form on TV all the time. Yeah. But uh, I don't know, a little stranger that we're like <laughs> sitting at home? Weirder than I thought it would be. Right? I was about to tell you that I like your hair and I was like, oh wait, don't say that because he might be pushing record. And yeah, it's funny to... It's I, funny I'm trying to, to tame it. To be interviewed because I'm... Yes. Um, so yeah, good point. Cause I had a thought earlier today, some podcasts are conversations and some are interviews and my show is kind of interview based, but I do want to have a conversation two way because contender series just wrapped up. Yeah. And so that's kind of where we have met and launched our, uh, UFC careers. Well, you kind of already were, we're in the mix, but, um, and and what's weird about getting interviewed, which you just mentioned, is that we were both just interviewed for this documentary that's going to come out on the Contender Series. And I was like, even though I've done that before, and it's like you've been on camera a lot, it is a very different thing to have people ask you questions open-ended and it's like, all right, go. Time, time yeah. to answer. And when I'm, when I'm really passionate about something, I can tend to blather on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> answers are probably a little long, but that's why they have good editors. Yes. I try to speak in sound bites when it comes to that. I'm like, I know these are clipped eight to 12 seconds at a time. I'm going to try to give them some, some, some money. Uh, that's, why, that's why you're that next level professional, Brendan. I was trying to do that, but then I was also like, I can... I can, I can do that, but sometimes I feel like I come off a little uh, trite or yeah. practiced. 
So I was right. like, I'm going to go in and I'm just going to be me and talk the way I normally talk. So we'll see which, which, if that well, ends that up it, a decision or not, I don't know. It depends what form it's in too, because then if they want longer answers and more explained things, then your approach is better. Cause sometimes I answer and I'm just like, was that good? That sounded way too just. No, I think, Pro, I think it sounded like promo copy. You know what I mean? It's going to end up like, coming out ahead because I guarantee we'll most of what they're going to want to show is action. Yeah show and so what we're talking about uh will be on espn plus soon i heard by before the end of 2020 nice. uh contender series documentary so look out for that laura and i are involved in it as is our uh, everybody and paul and uh a behind the scenes look as they shot on the season finale so can we just talk about this contender series like what did you like um when you go on podcasts and get interviewed do P- do you tell the contender stories uh, the contender series story of how you got involved, like all the time. No, in fact, no one's ever really asked me how I got involved. Wow. Cause every time I get interviewed, people go, so how did you end up with the UFC? And I go, yeah. well, and my audition for the contender series and blah, blah, blah. Oh, what's an audition? Like I've told the contender series story for me a billion times. So let's tell yours. Okay. Uh, how did you get involved in the contender series? Well, what's funny is like not a lot of people necessarily know that I was working for the UFC before I started doing the contender series. I think, I've been doing, I was doing backstage stuff for the Fox broadcasts a little over a year, maybe a year and a half and Invicta previous to that. Um, But it's kind of an interesting point because uh, still to a degree, people don't even realize I do the backstage report for for ESPN and for Fox. It's kind of a weird position. Hey, hey, I've been with the UFC now for almost three years or three years calling, calling shows and people are still like, who's this guy? Who's this new guy, Brandon? And I'm like, three years. I know I'm not on the biggest of, of, you know, shows, but come on. I've been involved. You're very consistently. Um, anyway, I, uh, so I had been doing the backstage stuff and, and to people's, to the point, like not, not nearly as active as I have been particularly this last year. Um, and it's funny because I can remember exactly where I was. I had just gone uh, shopping at TJ Maxx. Beautiful. <laughs> and um, I don't know if you ever shop at TJ Maxx, but you end up coming out with the weirdest hodgepodge of stuff that you never, never needed, never even knew you wanted. Um, so I had like candles and chips. And yes, stuff. yes. Box of forks. I always bought my ties at Ross Dress for yeah. Less. You yeah, know, like five dollar ties. Throw blanket, like every time. I don't know how many blankets picture frames. A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm like surrounded by this hodgepodge of stuff, and Zach, our boss, um, called me out of nowhere. Which anytime Zach or Dana calls me, I've never had Craig call me. I'm sure it would be the same reaction. It's part panic and terror, and part or this could be something good. <laughs> but your brain's not really sure where to land on it. Um, so I picked up and as he always, Jack's very efficient yes. on the phone and in any form of communication. So we got this new show. Um, we're going to film. And at the time it was six episodes. Okay. They hadn't even talked about doing eight yet. Six when episodes. was this? What month? Oh, that's a great question. Um, like first, probably, I found out about my audition late April. Somewhere probably March, there. April. Yeah. 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 Somewhere in there, they were pulling the talent together. Yeah. And I was, I was super excited though, because they did kind of mention, I'm not sure how he worded it, that like, um, 
all of them could be mine if I, if I was willing to do it. Like I could do every episode if I was down for that. And I was a little bit nervous about that because, um, you know, family obligations and my schedule up to that point had been very piecemeal. So really manageable. And I knew that this would be a big game changer for me, but I jumped at the chance and, and that was it. I didn't really have to audition because I had done the Fox interviews. And I think, I think part of why they called me is because there's definitely a little something, there's a different flavor to an immediate post-fight interview, as I'm sure you're very well. Uh, I haven't done them yet. Oh, you haven't? No. Oh, that's a good point. You haven't. I'm going to, I want to, you know, yeah. and, and I, I know that at some point it's going yeah. to happen, but I work with Felder and Bisping mostly yeah. or, or DC. So it's like, you know. So for, for Fox or for ESPN now in that role, there's a, a chunk of time, not a lot, but a chunk of time where you can like gather your thoughts, look up a quick factoid. Yeah, no, it's very different. Very Whatever. different. Yeah. But, but, but interviewing fighters immediately after they fought is kind of a different animal. And I think that they saw the work I did in Invicta and were like pretty like, okay, we can throw in there and she's not going to embarrass us. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's how you got, kind of got in. You're just that's like, it. let's do it. Yeah. it what did you problem. expect the show to be? God. Well, first of all, then I heard Snoop Dogg was involved. And yeah. I was, yes. <laughs> Sign me up because I grew up a massive Snoop fan. I had an older brother and we would like, and he had like tubes and tweeters and all these amps in, his, yeah. in the trunk of his uh, Honda or no Nissan ZSX or whatever it was. And like, we would come thumping up to Kansas city Christian nine times out of 10 listening to Snoop Dogg. So the fact that like someone was like, oh yeah, Snoop Dogg might be involved. That blew my mind. Right. That absolutely blew my mind. Um, what I expected from the show, I don't, uh, I'm not sure what my expectations were. Um, I was just really excited about it. I was excited to do something that was, cause I'll be honest, like whether it's ESPN or at that time, Fox, the formality of it, as I'm sure you're well familiar, I didn't go to school for broadcasting or journalism. Yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah. So sometimes <laughs> the, the a touch of polish might not be there or like the formality or the little tricks of broadcasting elude me, especially early on. But I love fights. I'm a huge fight fan. And I can for sure talk about a fight that just happened, right? Yeah. So that part of it, like I was excited to be that much closer to like being in the action calling the action and not just like what was your game plan coming in mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah yeah I, coming to it from outside the mma world i didn't even really know what to expect but i'm always curious to get people's expectations and somebody like you who was like you worked for invicta like you knew those regional shows and yeah. you also knew the big shows and then to me i was still understanding like okay why don't they call it a league? Why do they call yeah. it a promotion? And yeah. is this a promotion? Um, and also like, Promoting. you know, <laughs> the, fa the fact that it's a pro fight, you know, and ha how it was way different from the ultimate fighter because it was a pro fight that was sanctioned. Like those were all very new concepts to me, but for someone like you who kind of knew the makeup of it, but I still think that nobody really knew how it was going to take off and, yes. and like sign new people. And that was like, at the end of the first episode or two. I can't remember who, do you remember who got the contracts at the end of the first episode? Cause I worked episode two. One? Oh man. Was, uh, I was think Kenny? 
No. Case, no, Casey Kenny didn't get his contract on the Contender Series. Oh, that's but, um, and he, oh. he, he was in episode two. Like, episode two was Sean O'Malley, and he was the only one to get yeah. his contract. And that was the first show that I did. It was such a different season. Yes. Such yes. a different season. How would you describe... Because there's Old Testament and New Testament. There's the first... <laughs> there's the, <laughs> there's the first two seasons. <laughs> there's the first two seasons. Yeah, right. Kansas City. There you go. Um, there's the first two seasons in the Ultimate Fighter Gym. And then there's like the polished Apex version. But those first two seasons were a whole lot of fun and just like... There, yeah. There's something that I even miss about it, even though the yeah, apex is state of the art, but that just raw, the fact that we're showing up to an industrial park, which is what the tough gym was in and just not nearly enough air conditioning. Not, like not oh, so hot. They're sitting on the counter of the break room, <laughs> you know, to get called to see if they get their contracts. Like it was just and like, why are you in a kitchen? It was just so I feel like because the UFC headquarters had just been built that uh, spring. So I came to the UFC after it was the Wild West days. You know, yeah. it, was, it was already sold to Endeavor, big Polished. headquarters. It was like cool, state-of-the-art buildings. Yeah. But I feel like I got just a little piece yeah. because I experienced the tough gym in the first two That's, I think you're. I think you're really onto something because that it, it is. It's like that, that gritty, grimy. House lights, gritty, you know. Like, like uh, it was but that's kind of what i love like that's I know. that's what this sport's all about i mean certainly like i love i love you can't not love the apex but right. you're right i mean there's something about the absolute the heater that that show was in a very literal sense like my stage was basically the, the end of the hallway the end of the hallway i had like two and a half feet deep and there was one there was one week where we uh took the temperature back there and it was 91 degrees yeah and like i had to i had to change in a in a closet right next to that like there really weren't there weren't women in the ufc when they built that building so there were very few restrooms none of them were meant for women it was just it was it was it was great i loved it what's the story that sticks out let's go you know what first season like whether it's a snoop, whether it's a fighter, whether oh, it's an interview, oh, whether, oh, oh. you know, whatever you got, not, not like a specific to you interview, Maybe just like screen. an experience. Yeah. Oh, oh, well for sure. So, <laughs> this is so embarrassing. Um, do you remember, do you remember Kennedy and Zuchukwu? Yes. Yes. Okay. So Kennedy, it was toward the end of the season. Yeah. I don't like, think I called that show, but yeah, I remember for sure. Yeah. And I remember getting the names. I was like, oh, that's a rough one. <laughs> You know, I can say it now, fine, but there's something different about having just even a touch of nerves. And I freaking hate announcing those decisions. I hate it so much. I have offered to pay someone out of my own pocket to do it instead of me. But they're like, you don't no, like doing the contender series? I, no, I love the contender. No, announcing the winners. Just yeah, that's like, what I mean. That's what yeah. I mean. In hate the it. octagon, the school, you know, whatever. You don't like that. Hate it. Don't want to do it. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I I thought you actually really liked it. No. Oh, I interesting. It. Um. Anyway, and I especially did because I wasn't doing it at first, if you remember. And then one week they I showed up, and they're like, "Yeah, we don't really like when the ref uh reads it out, and Dana can't hear it, and there's no in-house or something like that." And they're like, "It so was very yeah, like I like Mark Smith would just go, winner is Sean, 
Yeah. Like there was no yeah. announcement. It wasn't mic'd up. It wasn't loud. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. Nothing. And so it was very on the fly. I just showed up one week and Zach's like, oh, we're going to have you read the winner. I was like, what? 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, which sounds, it sounds easy enough, right? Like you, you're reading. Get in there, read the but, scorecards. But <laughs> there's a lot of pressure there. Yeah. Anyway, I'm digressing. My story about it, Kennedy Mzuchukwu. So I went to, I think he was the main event and I went to, he won and there was a little tiny part of me that died because I knew I was going to have to say his name. And so I get out there and I think I at least managed to read the scores slowly and correctly and all that good stuff. And your winner is Kennedy. And I don't exactly remember how I stumbled. It wasn't horrible, but it was a clear like like it was not good way worse in your head than it was out there right felt awful but in the in the moment it's like but but then it ended up being a wonderful thing because uh i was mortified staying in the night i'm like oh my gosh i just completely screwed that up i feel so dumb this is so embarrassing i'm like shoving my things into a bag and a huff because i'm so mad at myself and one of snoop's guys uh one of his yeah, he had his entourage. He yeah, had he had his people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know who he was. A guy came over. And he's like, hey, uh, Snoop wants to see you in his trailer. And I was like, with me? Me? Really? Oh, okay. So um, I go trouncing out there to the trailer that was outside. Yeah. You have to understand, uh, I don't smoke. I have partaken um, maybe like five times in my whole life. Really? Wow. Maybe okay. less than that. Less than yeah. that. Anyway, two of them were with Snoop. Um uh i go out there and it's just the a cloud yes <laughs> i was talking about this when i had casey kenny on a few weeks ago because yeah. he was reliving his experience on that episode too and we were yeah. talking about how it was like a storage container they dropped in the parking lot with no windows and you no, just open the door and it was ridiculous like not many people could survive in that for a long time. I walk in there and he's like kind of like sitting in the corner all just like chilling as you might imagine on the couch and he's just like, hey, girl. And he, I, I don't know if he ever really ever knew my name, but he would always just call me by what I was wearing. Yes, yeah. I remember Lady in Red. Yeah, and- he's like, what's up, red dress? <laughs> and I was like, hey, how are you? And I'm so nervous. And I'm so aware of how uncool and not street I am. Yes, yeah, right, right. And, uh, but I'm like trying to not overdo it or whatever. And he's just like, he's just like, man, he goes, this is, and this is not me saying, this is how he said it. He goes, Man, that African kid's name gave you trouble, didn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, it did. That's beautiful. Yes, it did. So that was the whole reason he brought me back there is to just like, I don't know if it was to laugh at me, to commiserate or whatever, but uh, I kind of like got to know him after that. So yeah. I like the idea that Snoop, I'm, I'm thinking he probably just calls a lot of people what they're wearing. Which, I mean, how how much have you made it when you can just... Yeah. What up, red dress? And if anybody else said that to you, you'd be like, excuse me? Excuse me, what's up, black shirt? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's fantastic. Back to you, you, black shirt. Yes, that would be great. There's no slip of the tongue on that one. Um, So so, uh, one more question on the Contender Series. Because I was stumped when we did this documentary interview on one part. The guy said, what's your favorite part of the Contender Series? Like when you're doing your thing and, 
and its show. And what would you say is your favorite part? And I kind of had to like, I thought for a second and then I was like, eh, no. And I just made something up of like, uh, I mean, not made it up, but I was just like, you know, the preparation from, you know, the pre like, yeah, like sitting in my office and staring at my computer screen is not my favorite part. But I think the point I was getting across was like the fact that I could start knowing nothing about 10 fighters and then within three days get to know a heck of a lot about them by researching and then seeing them fight and then hearing their interview and then seeing if they get a contract. Yeah. And that's not one favorite part. That's the whole freaking process of the show. Yeah. But how did you answer that? If, if I'm being truthful, my favorite part would probably be our format meeting when it's like me, you, Felder, Zach, <laughs> Lappy or Carrie or like the producers, Deirdre. And we're just like sitting up and we're like cracking wise, going through the scripts. Like that is so Nodding much fun. Over in the corner piping up here and there. But as the broadcast goes, it's like we don't get that big on camera thing because we're removed from the octagon and there's like, and then the fights are the fights, which is obviously always great. And, but then you do the kind of the interviews and you talk to Dana and you, you know, those memorable moments are yours. So like, what would your favorite part be? It's definitely, I mean, it is those moments. It's definitely, I love when I can see a fighter that just had an incredible performance making their walk past Dana. I can't see that part specifically. I usually yeah. walk that part on screen to see if they interact at all. But like, and they came toward me just like seeing their body language and a lot of times they know you know yeah you're not sure, sure until it's in your hand but a lot of times they know and it's so hard to put into words it's like there I've been a part of or been around not a bit a part but been around some very big fights in the UFC and some huge moments in the UFC but there's something that is next level special about a guy or a girl who's been toiling on the regional scene for any amount of time whether it's short or long that that this is like this is their dream to be a part of that is so it's so cool it's like i'm sure that in, in this is a weird analogy but this is probably how like labor and delivery nurses feel um to to be there when people have their kids like it's yeah i get to like not that i'm a part of it in a real way but i get to like facilitate yeah them having this moment and it's why i bring up the topics that they bring up in their pre-fight interviews, which, you know, a lot of people give me shit for like constantly trying to make people cry. It's not my intent, but like, because like what you said, we do all this research, we take the time to get to know them and you start to have a sense for what was really an important part of their journey and what they're looking to do with this new platform that they hope to reach. So um, facilitating them telling their story i guess is my my favorite part yeah well i don't get that people don't like it if you you know make someone cry or or put them into a situation of having real emotions and that's just a lot of people firing off tweets or whatever that are like afraid of emotions in general like why why do people get so afraid of that like i remember brett okamoto got some crap when he asked chael son and what do you think your father would say or what would you tell your dad after he lost for a title or whatever uh in bellator people are like how are you going to do that to chael and it's just like that was the that was the most powerful moment of the press conference and for you somebody whose like whole purpose for driving them is their father who passed away. I'm thinking of Adrian Yanez. Just there's been a bunch of them, but I'm thinking of Adrian. And it's just like, of course he's going to get emotional, but like that 
time that you mentioned where they fist bump Dana or whatever, and then they turn and they're talking to you. That's a moment that only lives for that two minutes that you're about to talk to them. You know, because they get interviewed later in the night, they've settled into it. Like the 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 moment of that immediate aftermath of an emotional situation is one that you can never get back. So you have to take advantage of it in terms of of asking them about their important things. Sure, and part of me, um, part of me feels like I know that they've got they've they've often got family members or really important people that I know are at home watching and, and right. While, while we may not understand their connection, like that person is so important to them. And so part of me like wants to help them create a moment that will live on the internet or live in television forever so that they can go back and like relive that with yeah. the people that they care about. And if I only asked about the fight or only asked non-emotional questions, I just think I'd be doing a disservice. Yeah, the emotional responses are like what makes interviews great. You know, yeah. if, I, I think sometimes people are too quick to jump in. You ask somebody like, what would you tell your dad right now who, you know, passed away? And they sit there and they're like tearing up and whatever. And some people are too quick to jump in and try to save that. Oh, because you know, he's proud. Let like, be, shut up, let him cry, you know, whatever. People don't want to cry on TV. I don't know. It's like, I'd cry yeah. on TV. I haven't been in that situation where I've had to, and I'm usually not on the receiving end of interviews, but that's really, really compelling television. And it should be because it's real, you know? Yes, that, that's why I mean. it's as authentic and real and raw as one can get. And that's one of the things that makes our sport as, you know, the best or as good as any other. I agree. Know? And, and um, yeah, I just, I think it's what makes this show special. It makes, it's what, I don't know, like I've really enjoyed getting to know, I wouldn't know you the way I know you had we not worked on Contender Series together yeah. with Paul. You know, I feel like the beat team, right? Yeah, like, no, I know. I feel like you and me and Paul in particular uh, have like a, a little a little team bond. We do. From from that time, because that show is definitely something special. And like you said, the format meetings are always a yeah. good time. And I have to say too, like I don't mean to uh, hijack your, your show here, but I've been incredibly blown away because I went back and watched, I can't remember who I was researching, but I was like researching someone that we had on season. might've been Casey. I don't remember. Um, and I was listening to your call yeah. and yeah. it was excellent. And first of all, I was impressed that like you could, you could do such an effective play by play call without knowing much at, you know, at you the did. time for sure. Yeah. I mean, and then like, to, there's definitely, there's still moments now where, which, and I certainly don't mean this in like any sort of condescending way. So I hope you don't take this way, but like, even now it happens less and less. Cause now I just expect it from you, but you'll say something where I'm like, yes, Brandon, yes. Oh, like half guard. And, and... <laughs> yes. you're like talking about someone setting up a North South joke the other day. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, that's my guy. <laughs> I, Cause I know what it feels like on the bottom. Oh, yep. <laughs> No, I, I know. It's like, uh, it is true. And I was told to maybe get into jujitsu or whatever, just to start learning the finer points. And, um, I, I, I equate my jujitsu. I miss it like hell. I haven't rolled with anybody since February. And it's like one of those, like, I'm not gonna go to a grappling class right now with just, yeah. but, um, I, but I miss it. And I was really surprised at how much I loved it. It's like, I never wanted to play offensive line in high school football. I'm like, oh, they're the grunts, stick your hand. And then I did it. And I was just like, this is cool. This is, there's some camaraderie here. And it's, yeah, it's grunt. But when you're in it, it's cool. And same with jujitsu. I was like, I don't want to roll around with some strange man. No, like, there's Whether it's in a gi or spandex or just like, ugh. 
Um, and you know, at first I'm like, am I really doing this? And it was like, but it, it, you're just so, um, involved with what you're doing that you don't have time to think of anything else. And there's very few hobbies that are like that. And I just love that about it. What you, what you just said is what made me fall in love with MMA because there's been three separate times in my life where MMA has, I mean, this is going to sound dramatic and maybe I don't mean it to be quite so dramatic, but where MMA has like saved me from, um, depression or, or, uh, just three specific times in my life where I was really, really struggling. And because of what you just said, because like I would be stemming in my head about like everything that was going on and just really having a hard time getting myself out of the thoughts. And then you go to MMA practice and you roll or you strike or whatever. And because it is so intense and you literally cannot think about anything else, but what you're doing, even just that hour, hour and a half break where my mind wasn't focused on the other stuff that was going on, I would walk away just 10% more like, I feel better, you know? And it it really, um, it, it saved me for sure. Do you care to get into those three instances? I don't mind. Yeah, no, that's fine. Because um, you can't hang the interviewer in me hears that, uh, you know, your life was saved three different times. Who do we yeah. got? Is little Burke I, coming? Yeah, Burke's coming in. Come say hi, buddy. <laughs> hi. Burke, what's happening, bud? This is Brendan. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks. Yeah. Happy to you, Brendan. <laughs> hey, thanks, buddy. How old are you, Burke? Six and a half. Six and a half. My son's five, but I think you guys would get along. He'll be seven in a couple of weeks. So oh, hey, there you go. A couple years older. Please shut the door. Thank you, honey. Welcome. Sorry. <laughs> Beautiful piece of real life, yeah. speaking of. All right, so you can't say, well, you can in, in, in deflect, but this the proper interviewer says, if you say there's three times in my life specifically where it saved my life, I have to be like, what was the first time? And then we have to go through the, uh, whatever ones you're comfortable with though. You no, know, the first one's probably the most important one. And I'm, I'm happy to talk about all three, but the first one's the most important one because it's what got me to MMA in, in the first place. So well, that's where I was going next. So perfect. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I grew up doing karate, but like not competitively, just karate the way that a lot of kids, people, a lot of people's kids do karate, got my black belt. Um, and I enjoyed that. And then, um, so I think as I've talked to you before, and I've probably alluded to on other podcasts or whatever, like I was raised in a really conservative uh, Christian household and I loved that upbringing. And, um, but there's certain things that kind of come with that certain expectations. And one of them that ended up playing into my life was like this sort of prescription for your life where you, for me, you go to school, you do really well. You make great grades. You go to college. You also do really well and you make great grades and then you get married and that's just, then you have a, a family and you raise them in the church and that's what you do. Um, so I won't bore you with the details, but like I got, I got married right out of college. I was 23 or four. I honestly right. can't remember. Um, and it was, uh, to a guy I had, I had only been dating for like, we had gotten engaged nine months after we started dating. Where did you go to college again? I went to a small liberal arts college, uh, what, like near home. Yeah. Yeah. Near yeah. home. Yeah. yeah. Another thing I wish I would have done differently, but what, um, and, uh, it was just, it was, it was a total, total disaster, total disaster. Uh, and, uh, I was unbelievable. We got separated slash divorced six months after we were married and I was, um, not only the rest of it caused the marriage to fall apart. Like he ended up being a completely different person than what I thought he was, in retrospect, there were a million red flags that I was just ignoring, you know, anyway. Um, but 
I just felt like a failure. Like I had, I had always been this golden child, you know, salutatorian, magna cum laude, all this stuff. And then I keep continuing with this prescription and then like I fail the biggest test, right? And divorce is not really something that's like uh, thought of, it's not to be taken lightly, I guess. And when you've only been married From, six Because years. of how you were grown up. Yes. Because of how yes. you grew up. Not that anybody takes it lightly. Yes, but exactly. <laughs> but especially, you know, there's some people who are yeah. just like, you don't get divorced. You figure it yes. out. Yes. Right? Yes. And so especially not six months in, you know. Yeah. So that whole process of like trying to convince my parents that I was married to a psychopath um, and moving home and then like not knowing what to do with myself and like, I don't know, I, it was just a really not a good place for me. And I was like, I need to find something to take my mind off of what a mess my life feels like right now. And I just, do you know who Rob Kimmins is? No. No. Okay. So he is a really, really, he never was very famous. So I'm, I'm not surprised, but he's an OG uh, Kansas city MMA guy. And I accidentally ran into him working out with um, another guy at a local gym. I just saw him rolling and I was like, Oh, I wonder, I wonder what that is. And I had been a fan of pride. So I kind of knew like, cause they were doing jujitsu. I was like, Oh, I think that's MMA. Like, I think that they're, where did you see pride? Man, I, what's funny is like, I don't know what turned me on to it. I just yeah. I think I was watching late night TV and Jay Glazier used to have this show on, I don't even remember what channel it was, but they would show pride highlights. Okay. And like I was spike eating, or fuel, one of those like yeah, men's channels or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of those. And I was eating it up. So like, it was like 2004. Yeah. Um, so I was watching that when I was in college. Uh, and then I see Rob in the gym doing this and I was like, Hey, can I train with you guys? And they gave me like the major brush off. Like, no, they didn't flat out say no, but they were like major brush off. And it took me a while for that. I just kept asking and asking and asking because it was really just these two guys. who. What like, did you want to do? I just wanted that. I just wanted to, I don't know. I just wanted to learn. I wanted to find a, something I could pour myself into that would take me away from the bad place I was in, keep me in good shape. And in addition to that, I knew I didn't want to do a super traditional martial art like I'd already done, where it was like a lot of punching at the air and whatnot. I wanted to like, I wanted to wrestle someone. Brand yeah, new. yeah. <laughs> I wanted to wrestle someone or I wanted to like really get really physical. Um, so that's kind of how it started. And the cool thing was uh, because of the weird way that I started, I did start working out with those two guys and like every once in a while, a couple other people would show up. And so for the first nine months, I would be working out three or four hours at a time on basically a one-on-one -on -one situation. So I was getting a super intense one-on-one -on -one, uh, lesson from a UFC caliber fighter for nine months straight. So I, I feel like my learning curve was, was super, super fast. So what, um, were you, were you working or were you just, did you just have that time to yeah. live at home and be like, uh, I can, I'm um, you know, <laughs> living with my parents. Right, right, right. But you were with your parents, right? So you were yeah. just like, yeah. you know, no kids, uh, yeah. you know, with your, your parents. And so basically when you're that age, of course, it's like work and then whatever yeah. else you want to do. There is a lot of time. It's funny when you grow up, you're like, I had so much time back then. Oh, what did so I do with it? I'm glad you maximized it.
so much. Yeah, I was in venture. I probably can't say the same for myself. Really different career path. Right. Oh, yeah. Venture capital. Right. How do you find your way? So MMA saves you in terms of just lets you in the gym and your head just gets to focus. Yeah. Did you get to New York next? Yes. So that was because of the venture capital career I had. And I'm using that term lightly. I was was involved in like seed stage, angel stage, A-level stage uh, startups. So like really early on, um, I... I went to, I went to, I got my degree in business and entrepreneurship. And one of my professors was a former wall street guy who had a lot of aspirations and a lot of connections and knowledge outside of the world of academia. Like he came from a practical place. Yeah. And so he's like, Hey, let's start this thing on the side. I'm still going to teach. Like you can kind of run it. You'll do all the work and then I'll help by being the, you know, the, the person with credibility. Right. Um, So that's actually how I met my husband is like, I joined a local angel investor network as his proxy. So I was not, I didn't have, you have to have a certain financial status to be an angel investor, but I was working as his proxy. So I would show up at these meetings with all these other angel investors. And it's just, it's exactly like Shark Tank. It's what you think. This is in New York? No, this is in Kansas City. Oh, okay. But this is how I got to New York. Yeah. And I would be at these meetings and I was the only woman that had ever been at these meetings, let alone a 24 year old who looks, you know, yeah. she might not know. <laughs> the 24 year old version of you still, yeah. still looking as good as ever. Oh, thank but. you. You're so sweet. Um, but yeah, so I, I, and I was super intimidated by it, but I was determined, like, I'm pretty good usually at fitting in like guy situations. Yeah. And, but I knew I, ha- I couldn't look like an idiot. So I would prepare and I would research to the nth degree and come in there with like really good questions and quickly won their respect. And then I got involved with one of the companies and that's what brought me to New York. Okay. Then it's yeah. off to the big city because Angela Hill was on yeah. the show a few weeks ago. Yes. And she was talking about her time in New York and how she went to this Muay Thai gym. And she's like, she's like, actually... That's I, I met Laura Sanko back then. And I was like, oh, look at this web of yes. MMA just connecting because now, you know, Angie's in San Diego and whatever, yeah. and she's from Maryland. But uh, so your so then your MMA experience in New York is what? Because you were like training. Yeah. And that was kind of the second time it saved me. So I moved to New York um, completely alone. And I, because of the Lived company. in Manhattan? Yep. In yeah. Chelsea, uh, right at 25th and 6th. And because of the nature of the company, I didn't have an office to show up to. It was, it was basically like living in quarantine in a city that I didn't know or understand yet. I didn't know a single person. Um, it was, and I lived in a studio apartment that cost me nearly $4,000 a month. It was yeah, very it's crazy. Expensive That's very it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And in New York too, uh, who said this one time? I think Bill Burr was like, New York, come be alone with everybody. Yes. Like, there's exactly. millions and millions, there's, there's an endless amount of people there, yeah. but everybody's just so into their own thing and intimidated yeah. or not in this clique. And then it's like, yeah, it can be an incredibly lonely place. It can be. And it was. And so I thought, man, here we go again. I'm feeling not good and I need to find a place to train. So I found the closest place that I could walk to. Um, and it just happened to be this place called fight house. that was in some grimy grungy building that you had to get in a really sketchy elevator and go up to like the it was illegal, right? Was it illegal? 
oh MMA at the time oh yeah oh yeah MMA was still illegal so was training it, but, oh okay you know, training was not yeah. but it certainly was not popular because why would you train in a sport you can't do yeah yeah so um go up there and like it's this old imagine like the grittiest grimiest most ringworm ridden old boxing gym right like it's just sweaty and chip paint everywhere and the majority of the gym was boxing and Muay Thai. And that's how I got to know Angela because they had an MMA corner, but I kid you not, you've seen the warm-up mats like that they do for the fighters at the hotel. Yeah. Individual fighter. Yeah. That was our higher class mat size. When we would run, when we would <laughs> 10 run by laps, 10. Yeah. When we would run laps, it was like you had to hurt, your ankle would hurt because the pivot was like so right, tight. Right, right, um, and, uh, and we'd have to like take turns. <laughs> Uh, but every once in a while, if I wanted to get an extra workout in, I'd hop into the Muay Thai class and the other girl that was about my size was Angela. And we didn't like work out a ton to ton together, but some, and, but she hadn't even fought amateur yet. And I, I hadn't fought yet amateur either. So we were just two, you know, people. Right. Working out. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Did you know her and stuff or like, did you hang out with her at all or did, no. did you? Did you even no. know her name? Because sometimes, sometimes you go to jujitsu class, you don't even know. You're just like, hey, man, cool. A long time where I didn't. There was a right. long time where I didn't. I think I kind of knew her name, but like would forget it sometimes. And then- Was there a moment then all those years later where you're like, wait a second? Yes. Yes. Because she, her first fight in the UFC, I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And I, was, and I looked her up. I was like, holy shit, that's Angela from the gym. <laughs> that's so crazy. And then of course- not too long after that, she got came back to Invicta. Right. And that was when I saw her. We fought her, um, for her title. I saw her in the hotel and I was like, do you remember me? And she just goes, oh my God, yes, I do. You know, and it was this crazy moment. And then when yeah. I'm like interviewing her and she's getting this belt put around her, we're both just like, this is so weird. <laughs> yeah. So that's MMA savior number two in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Gives you like some camaraderie, some friends, all that. Yeah. What's number three? Uh, I would say, man, <laughs> probably the biggest part was like coming back from having my son, um, was a big, was, was, was number three. Okay. Um, we'll get to that. I want to get to that after. Cause you yeah. had a fight before you had your son. So like, when do yeah. you go from training, hobby, workout to I'm going to take a fight? Yeah. So after I moved back to Kansas city, um, the gym that I immediately got hooked up with because Rob Kimmons was sort of connected with them at the time. And it was, they were the best gym in Kansas city at the time. It was called Grindhouse. It's now glory. Yeah. It's the same group that has sort of morphed over time. Um, and I just started training there and I, I can tell you many great early days, James Krause stories. Like he was, <laughs> such, he was such a dick early on, um, such a dick. And he'll even admit to it. Like, did not want to give me the time of day. Uh, Joaquin Buckley still thinks so. <laughs> God, <laughs> getting asked about that and it's so awkward. It's so awkward. Oh man. Okay, anyway. no, continue, sure. Um. So, but they it was a really competitive gym. Everybody that went there fought, and they fought like every weekend in these freaking barns in Missouri. They were going up to Sturgis and fight five times in one night. Like we're talking Midwest regional MMA scene where it's like, yeah. no, we're gonna fight. You know, there wasn't a lot of rules. No, no. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I guess I am in a fight. So I had seven amateur fights. Uh, went six and one as an amateur. My only loss, my only loss was a girl to uh, a girl that was on meth. Uh, so I feel good about that. 
that night? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. They didn't overturn it to a no contest though. I mean, not a lot of drug testing going on. <laughs> I, I can living, living near independence, Missouri. I can, I can tell you when someone's on meth and she was, yeah. for sure. <laughs> no, there you go. Uh, but so then, so that you're like, do you view yourself as a fighter at this point? Like, yeah, what, you know, I, what, what, what were the goals you have you know you're six and one as an amateur you, you took you a pro under, fight yeah you gotta understand so like at this time most of my most of my amateur career it was pretty spread out because it was really hard to find other 105 pound girls like i would right. spend hours in chat rooms and on message boards looking for anyone even remotely my size didn't matter where they were in the country like let's fight you know um and so i didn't i would have loved to have had way more than i did it was just really hard to find people and then um, I guess uh, probably four or five fights in, I'm like, I'm doing this. But it had nothing to do with a career because making it a career was not an option. Invicta right. didn't exist yet. Yeah. And there were no women in the UFC. It was like purely, if you were a woman in, in MMA at that point, you did it because you freaking loved doing it. And that was it. It was a really expensive well, not that expensive, but normally somewhat expensive, very dangerous, very time-consuming hobby. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Cause there was no roadmap to, and, and then, and then even if Invicta did exist, you can't exactly be yeah, like, no, no, I'm, you know, it's that's not part that of the type reason, of, I'm sorry. I keep interrupting no, you. I, that's part of the reason why I think my path took the direction that it did versus like, I, you know, I debuted the same night that Paige Van Zandt did on the exact same card. And I'm not comparing myself to her, but it's hard not to sometimes because, um, because of that fact. Right. Right. But the UFC goes on to pick up the straw weights and they have yet to pick up an atom weight division. And I'm just not, I never would have been competitive at straw weight because of my size. So um, there never really was a career option for me. Yeah. Oh, didn't, wasn't Dana just, didn't he just talk about the atom weights? What did it, he say? It was very, it was the first time I've ever heard him talk about it out loud. Mick and I have talked about it a lot because I've been like hounding him about it for years. Um, it was the first time I've ever seen Dana say that out now. He said, uh, we've thought about it. This is not the year or something uh, like that. Yeah. But so you're saying there's a chance. Right, right. <laughs> I think with some of those women's divisions, especially at either end of the spectrum, like we're seeing it with featherweights, like how many 105ers are there? Can you fill a division? Yeah. And, and I think you're going to, I'm not, I'm not pretending there's four like four featherweights. Yeah. Maybe depending Maybe. on the week, you know, there's, there's between two and there's between three and six featherweights. Yeah. I can say with a great deal of certainty that there are more atom weights. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say, Oh my God, it's such a deep division. Right. It's not the deepest division, but I will say that if you're looking to tap into Asian markets, there are a lot of atom weights in China, yeah. and Japan that are really experienced, really excellent fighters. And there's a good amount here. And it, I find in women's MMA, as a whole, it's very much, if you build it, they will come. You know, yeah. Amanda Nunez did not turn into Amanda Nunez uh, until she had a reason to, right? Like when she was fighting in Invictus, she lost to Sarah Delilio and no crack on Sarah Delilio. Like, but at, no one would have watched that fight and gone, that's the best woman fighter that's ever been. Right, you know? right. It wasn't until she had a reason to be that and to try to be that and to dedicate herself her life to being that, that she became it. So it's such a chicken and an egg thing, I guess. Yeah. Well, and then also you have like Michelle Watterson, who was, 
-hmm. Hannah Cyphers, and like several other like Loma, Loma is fun to watch. Like they're right. There, there's a handful that already fight in the UFC, just up a weight class. Yeah, you know the same way that they fought at 135 because that was the only one for a while. Exactly, and some and we've seen we've seen history show us that sometimes a fighter is a totally different person when they're fighting in the weight in their preferred weight class. Yeah, Um, there are there are a lot of women uh, in Invicta, and what what the unfortunate reality is is that you would have to absorb most if not all of the current Invicta Adam weights to get it started kind of like what they did with straw weight yeah it's tough on Invicta so it makes me like I kind of don't want to say it out loud it's also it it would almost take a yeah take a chunk of their roster so you then become a fighter 105er but then that's when you had your son right yes so now let's go to that moment because you were talking about and I backed you up to get to the mini career but So yeah, I, um, I was fortunate enough to make my pro debut with Invicta, which at the time, I mean, at the time Invicta was like, I felt like I got the call to the UFC. Cause again, weren't women weren't, I think Rhonda fought two months before I made my debut. So like that whole notion really only came to fruition during my camp. So that was kind of like the timing was weird, but point yeah. being, it felt like, the top of the mountain yeah. for me. And I was super excited about it. Had a great fight, got a second round uh, submission win and immediately got rebooked uh, with a new opponent, was in camp. And and I tell this, I do tell this story a lot. Like at the time in my gym, I don't think people realized how women's MMA was going to take off or how Invicta was going to take off. And so uh, there was not a lot of like focus put on me <laughs> i don't mean to say that like a selfish way but like yeah. Tay elliott is the only fighter who ever cut weight with me like i was figuring it out googling stuff and i can i could tell you some horrible things i did to myself cutting weight to make 105 horrible point being such as oh i i i pooped blood like my oh, first no. my first okay never mind uh, I'm, yeah, I know, you didn't hear that, did you? My first time down to 105, because I was doing the alcohol and salt bath. They don't do alcohol and salt anymore, but I did that. And I think I had the ratio wrong, because, like, my skin was peeling off. Ugh, yeah. I mean, it was it was rough. Not making, and, and I was, I wasn't dieting correctly. Like, I only ate a handful of almonds and a baggie full of raw vegetables uh, for months. What a sport. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so because I wasn't happy with how I made weight last time, I thought, okay, let's switch up the birth control because that can be a big water retainer for a woman. Thought I had like coordinated the the switching of the of the birth control. Uh, Didn't quite get my math right. So the the my favorite joke is that I had to pull out of my fight because my husband didn't (laughs) blow. We just saw the, the beautiful little boy that, yes, that is now yeah. part of our world. It's fantastic. Yes, exactly. So that's where, you know, like I thought I was going this way and life took me in a whole different direction. So then MMA saves you again. How? After, after he was born, you know, I, uh, I had like pretty, pretty significant postpartum depression. I think part of it was not really being able to bond with him after he was born because he had to be in the NICU for a while for a, a blood infection. Part of it was 
uh, I went through a bit of a uh, identity crisis, first time moms especially. Uh-huh. And, it, and for me, I went from like, I'm going to be this top notch athlete. Like I, I, I was in amazing physical condition. I'm going to be doing this. Like, this is my path. And I'm a very driven, like goal oriented individual. I'm kind of, I I'm competitive with myself. So like, that was my thing. And then I became this like mom and like, I didn't feel good in my body. And like, as much as I loved my son, it was, he was not an easy baby. So just all of these things. And I was really struggling again. And I thought, man, the best solution I know of is to get back in the gym. So that's, that's the third time is, and I haven't obviously fought since then, but right. there's been, um, you know, especially when I first came back, like I was, I was training really, really hard. I could have taken more fights and probably should have, but it just was not, a, it wasn't a priority because there was never enough of a financial reason for me to take. It still wasn't effort. there yet. Right. Yeah. The sport wasn't there yet for women, even after that. Yeah, and not yeah. fiber still. Yeah, exactly. Um, when does because obviously you've done a great job to stay and make your career within the sport. So when does this new avenue open up for you? Now as we kind of cross from your MMA life yeah. into broadcasting, which is what most people know you as, and I I have to say, because I watched that first Contender Series episode, the very first one from home, because that was uh, Dan Halley called that one. Yeah. And um, I think Dan mentioned it. He was just like, all right, third member of our crew, Laura, she's a fighter. I was like, no way. (laughs) I was like, she looks like a sideline reporter, which is a compliment. (laughs) To be able to look like a sideline reporter, is uh, that's a compliment in and of itself. I was like, what do you mean she's a fighter? What does that mean? You know, and, and then you um, and you were like barely, barely. Well, no, but I was just like, <laughs> wow, she is in the sport, yeah. And it's not like, oh, she had done this sideline reporting and she had worked TV for this many years, and oh yeah, she. It was like, no, no, no. Oh, you're a person in MMA, and yeah. now they're giving you a microphone. So, like, how does that manifest? Did you did you think of it? Like, how did that happen? Oh, no, so after I got pregnant, and it was right after I had the baby. Um, Shannon Knapp, who owns Invicta, called me. And I remember I was at my brother's house for Christmas. And she said, hey, um, we're going to have Marlous Coonan in town. And we don't have a third person to interview her, but we want to have like a live interview with her during the broadcast. Would you be willing to do it? And I said, yes, but like, you know, I've never... I've never interviewed anybody before, like at all. Never talked to a camera, never held a microphone. Can you hold on one second? Yeah, hey, Zach, can you stop clapping? He's clapping for me, Brendan. He's he thought he'd stop by at the outside of my office door and clap before he goes to the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> but I knew you were making a point. You're, so you yeah. had never interviewed anybody before. Yeah. So I just, and then I just thought, I, but this kind of the story of my life, to be honest with you, is just being uh, perpetually underqualified for things I'm thrown into and yet finding a way to make it work at first and then ultimately succeed. That's a very um, good lesson for anybody. It is. How many times you hear start before you're ready. Yep. And if you want to like do something and then it'll turn into like what 
what your inspiration and motivation yeah. becomes, but just which, do it first. Yes. Which is hard. Cause I'm also a perfectionist. So that yeah, no, it's really tough to it do. Rubs, it's so hard for me to do. It's so hard for me to I'm do. I'm doing it with this show. I'm like, am I really doing this? Am I yeah. going to do another one? Am I going to do? And then after every episode, I'm like, thank That's God right. I do this show, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. No, exa- I know exactly how you, f- I feel that way about every podcast. We do. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I fooled him again. <laughs> I think yeah. I still have a job. So, yeah. so you get involved in the Invicta. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah. So they had me do that. And then um, I was a few months, not, nothing happened right after that. And a few months later, Shane was like, hey, we really liked that. Um, we want to split up because they have another col- color commentator named Julie Kedzie, former UFC fighter. Yeah. Um, we want to split her, like split the Joe Rogan role, as they call it, um, and have someone separate go in cage and do the post-fight interviews. We would like that to be you. So again, totally unprepared, uh, to, for, especially for live television. But I was like, yeah, I can do that. I can figure it out. Sure. And that's how I started. At what point did you think uh, I might be able to do this for the UFC? Well, I'm, I'm, again. Or if you didn't think it, what phone call did you get? Or yeah, I'm a really driven person, and of course, but that like that felt so, it felt so out of reach. Light years away. I had no connections, no like at that point I knew James and Tim Elliott were the only two and, and, but they're fighters. Like they're not on the broadcast side, totally unrelated. Um, I just had no way to even see that as a reality. And then you want to know the real story? I mean, let's do it. Almost embarrassing, but it's a great story. And I'm not sure how much of it is true or not, but I've think I've only told this story to like one other person. I, First of all, I had the thing that with Tanya that happened. Tanya Evinger kissed me on television in a post-fight interview. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. It's intense. <laughs> like, like full open mouth. mouth. Open. And she had just vomited. So there was oh, like, no. Like a few minutes before. She switched yeah. her mouth. But yeah. anyway, so that went viral for half a minute. And I think maybe some people at the UFC had seen that because it was on Fight Pass. And it was like, oh, my God, this woman kissed another woman on television. And um, anyway, so that kind of, I think, got me a little bit on the radar. When I lived in New York, I knew the guy who started Affliction because we randomly met at a party. His name is Michael Cohen, and he's the former attorney to, to President Trump. Uh, okay. The one that ended up going to prison. <laughs> so oh, dear. I knew Michael. Um, we met at a totally unrelated party, had to do with my venture capital work. Yeah. The topic of MMA comes up and he's like, you do it. He's like, you do MMA. And I was like, yeah. He goes, you don't look like it, Kansas. So he kept calling me Kansas. Cause anyway. Yeah. And then he's like, well, I'm, I'm fucking starting affliction and da, 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 you know? Um, so we kind of like bonded over that and kept in touch over the years. I moved back to Kansas city. I talked to him maybe once a year just to like catch up. Right. Trump announces he's going to run for president. I'm like, holy shit. Michael's boss is running for president. That's got to be really weird for him. So I call him up to like, talk about that. We're dishing. And he's like, Hey, I seen you, you know, you're working really hard. He's like, would you ever want to do that for the UFC? And I was like, yeah, of course I would, but I don't know how to lay, I don't know how to make that happen. I, I, I live in Kansas city. Like I have no connection. He's like, I got you. I got you. And I, to this day, don't know who he called or what he did, 
but my first discussion in the UFC was with George Greenberg, who was like pretty high up. And I don't think would normally have like lowered himself to speak with the potentially new reporter girl if it hadn't kind of come from above. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing an email where Michael like, he's like, put together a reel. I didn't even know what a reel was. Yeah. Google how to do it. Uh-huh. It was terrible. What I put together was terrible. Everybody's first reel is horrible, no matter how good you think it is at the time. That reel got sent to, I want to say, the vice president of Fox, because we were on Fox at the time. Not Fox Sports. Whoa, not whoa. Fox, whatever other subsidiary. Fox. <laughs> yeah. It's mortifying. Michael's like, oh, I sent it to so I'm like, oh my God, they don't care. Send it they, to Rupert Murdoch or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, Michael, stop. This is so embarrassing. Stop. But I and I'm like, oh my gosh, please stop. Please, please, please stop. But whatever, I have this conversation. Now to this day, our boss Zach swears up and down. He's like, I never got an email that like we had to do someone. He's like that. I, I saw you because of the Tanya thing. So I don't yeah. know what was true. Which well, Zach's the type of person that. that would tell you. Yeah, he would. He would. He would. Yeah. But not long after I got a call like, hey, would you like to come to LA and audition? And that would be a whole other hour long podcast, me describing what I did and how I prepared and how terrified I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I cut but, but, out Michael Bisping's head. Uh-huh. Like I cut out heads of Bisping and... Oh, because you were on the desk? Yes. They auditioned I, you was, sitting I auditioned, on the desk. I auditioned to anchor the desk. Oh, okay. Not as an analyst, as the host. Right, right as the host. But not, no. and it wasn't as a reporter. They didn't dummy no. you if I cure somebody. Because no. I've been a part of those auditions to uh, auditions oh. like um, for a hockey job I, I, I was interviewing for and they put some guy in an Islanders jersey and they sat him next to me and they're like, okay, this is uh, Grabowski. So uh, he just scored in the first period interview him and stuff. So I'm like interviewing this guy who's sitting next to me, you know, this chubby dude in an Islanders jersey. I'm like, is this for real? Like you're going to, yeah. you know, but so as a, an audition of a desk host, which you could do at Fox Sports, it's in the studio and everything like that. Yeah, it was in the studio. It was terrifying. I didn't, I didn't know I'd never first t- time in a studio. Was that the first time in a studio? studio? I've yeah. never, I had never read from a teleprompter before. Yeah. I had never had to address more than one camera before. I had never had uh, other people to address, let alone like a, f- I didn't know how to read a format. I did not, I didn't know. Format's the least of your problems, but that is crazy because, you know, I went to school with a degree yeah. in broadcast journalism, getting experience in school, then small market, whatever. And when I went on to that Fox set for my audition, which was already after I had called the contender series, they're like, we just want to get you on the desk, see how you look and sound, whatever. But I, I'll just tell you this. I don't get nervous except when you're in a new environment in front of new people that had that that's nervous every single time when you're in a new environment. And so every time I had just worked for ESPN, so it's like, why would I get nervous? I'm now in the Fox Sports studio. It's no big deal. But it's just like, it's a yeah. different room. It's a bigger cavernous studio. There's multiple, ca- like I was nervous and I had already been working MMA and uh, whatever. And I'm doing my audition in there. I'm just like, this is weird. And then I, you know, my talent and experience ultimately carried me yeah. through. I, the audition was fine, but I can't imagine. And you have I to can't imagine that for you. That is, I, that um, is, that is beyond the deep end. I am. That's open ocean. Here. 
oh, you have no idea. Like I, I could talk about, the, I was freaking terrified. And then they're like, yeah, you're just going to be calling the show with uh, Michael Bisping. And I think Steve Must- Thompson was auditioning to be an analyst. So it was oh, okay, yeah. Thompson, Michael Bisping and me. And you have to understand, like, I'm a fan first. So part of me is like, oh my God, I'm meeting Michael Bisping. And then I'm like, oh my God, I have to act like I'm the host and I'm in control of the traffic for Michael Bisping. Like, I was losing my mind. You can't do it even if you like are on the same level with him. It's tough to put up a stop sign on Bisping. (laughs) For sure. Wow. So then, but then you're kind of in that world a little bit. Yeah. I mean, apparently, I mean, the uh, such it's this is fun having this conversation because i'm remembering this i the way home i cried all the way home and i'm not exaggerating like i i felt like i had done so poorly because they i don't know if they did this to you but they threw me a curveball intentionally where they put the wrong script in my teleprompter Hmm. and they didn't do that but they would they would in my ear just be like ask another follow-up you know, yeah. stuff that wasn't formatted, but they didn't screw with the prompter. That, yeah. That's a, I, I don't think that they did. I've had that before in other jobs, yeah. but yeah. And I felt like I didn't do that great with it. Um, when I go back and watch it, um, it's not as horrible. It's not. Oh, good. you have the copy of the audition? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I want to get mine from the Contender Series audition. Yeah, you should. Because I bet it's awful. But I cried the whole way home. Thinking, on the plane and everything? Oh, yeah. Like, it was, I felt like the biggest walk of shame I'd ever done in my life. Because I was like, I had this, I had this opportunity, this moment in front of me. And I just, I just fucked it up, right? And I was sure that they weren't going to call me. Because they were very like, okay, right. Thanks, bye. Someone will take you to the airport. You know, there was no feedback. No, it's brutal. Not. I know. And I figured the lack of feedback was because I'd done so horribly. Oh, uh, yeah. That's just- I had this call, like... Hey, um, when, how, how long did you have to wait for the call? A month, I think. A full month. A full so month. by that point it was gone, right? Yeah. I'm like, it's just well, like, you're not holding your breath on it, but right. But you yeah. hadn't heard, you hadn't had any correspondence though. It wasn't no. like, Hey, we'll talk to you next week or right. right. That's beautiful. No, no. That was the same as mine too. And I think I probably like sent Zach an email like, Hey, we'd just love to hear your thoughts. If you have time, you know, and he, I don't, he probably was like, yeah, super busy. Um, we'll just chat when I get, you know, he's, he's like I said, very efficient. Yeah, so very busy guy. Yeah. Very busy, insanely busy guy. Like I get now why his emails are usually two words. Um, anyway. Uh, and then randomly I got an email like, Hey, do you have time to hop on a conference call with myself and three other producers all named Mike, uh, <laughs> and talk about, uh, potentially doing some work for us. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah, it was crazy. So yeah. I didn't, obviously I didn't end up hosting and I would totally understandable. Right, right, <laughs> they right. Felt like I had enough, um, uh, enough there to, uh, to be thrown in as a backstage. It's report. crazy. What I've learned about the business is in those situations, they are, they are going for, they're almost basing their decisions in a lot of ways off potential, especially in the case with you, like with not a lot, you have MMA experience, not TV experience, but they want to know how your voice sounds. They want to yeah. know how you look like under the TV lights and whatever. And then they ultimately want to see like, are you just a bumbling, stuttering wreck or can you actually speak a little bit? And if yeah. you can like speak with a decent voice, that's pleasant to listen to and look pretty yeah. good. They're like, imagine this person in a year, they're going to be way better, you know, cause they've yeah. seen the, the develop the TV executives kind of know, like you're just looking, if you have a voice that's nails on a chalkboard and you're like sweating, it's like trouble. Yeah. Might not work out. 
but like, you know, all the, they're like, okay, she's got the knowledge. We can bring her along in the other avenues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so like, what have you, cause that's been what, three and a half years, four years, Almost I guess. Five. Almost five, five years now. So like, what, yeah. um, what's the biggest thing that you've kind of, you, you, you know, you're, um, self-deprecating in your sense of humor a lot of times and stuff, but in terms of like what you have learned and like what yeah. things you have been able to lean on from a television perspective, hmm. because I would say it's, it's very impressive what you've been able to do just in the same way that you're like, to me, you know, jujitsu terms and oh yeah, like he does know the fight game. I would say like, well, you do know how to be a reporter and ask, you know, pretty good questions most of the time. Thank you. Most. <laughs> well, no, I just, you know, well, um, I, hey, no, I, I ask, I ask horrible questions. I've asked a thousand bad questions on this podcast, like oh. yes or no questions, closed ended, putting words in your mouth. All I mean, I break those rules all the I'm time. A, I'm a big, I'm a big, I, I tend to have the rambling question. That's mm, like, okay. I know that's the toughest habit to break, but it's the best one yeah. to, uh, um, but anyway, no, I think that, that is a great question. I've never really thought about this part of it. Um, was it a great question though? Was it, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> In terms of how it was worded. No, picking on, sure. picking on myself. You're, you're causing me to really, really think here. Um, I think just having confidence and, and, and feeling like I can, okay, here's a good one. Early on when I would do my reports, I would write the way that I, right. Like I can be a very descriptive storyteller and use really interesting vocabulary and long, complicated sentences to form a really beautiful thought. Um, and I, it wasn't until I picked up like half the time television speak is not even complete sentences. You may no, it is not half statements, half statements, punchy, punchy, punchy question. Grammatically <laughs> incorrect. If I spoke if I wrote how I spoke on a broadcast, I'd get an F in every single English class of all yeah. time. I was that's how it works. Write, I was yeah. trying to write scripts. I remember that too. Cause I remember you, the information and the stories were always good, but I'm, I just, if she's reading that, that's yeah. something she's reading that. You know? Yeah. It sounded like I was reading it and I wasn't literally reading it, but I was speaking the way I would write. Yes. I finally figured out, which is a funny thing because like I wish someone would have been like, hey Laura, here's this little tip. I mean, same thing with my with my with my tosses. I remember it was like, I want to say almost two years in, someone at Fox was finally like, You have got to fix your tosses. And I remember thinking, I don't even know what a toss is. Right. So help me out with that, you know. Um, uh, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but no, it's crazy, well, but everyone pointed out what I was doing. I was like, well, yeah, of course, that yeah. makes perfect sense. I wish you would have told me this two years ago when you were appalled by what I was doing. Can I tell you, I, and like, I've told this a lot, not like publicly or whatever, but when I'm talking about just the business, I was like faking it. I mean, I had the background and the experience, but like in terms of really understanding how to be on TV, what works, the, the formula, I yeah. didn't learn that until I was at ESPN. And even then was only when I saw, I went to this three-day seminar class. I don't even know if I've told you about this, but this guy came to our little, um, to our office at ESPN and he taught a three-day course. He, Cause I was in North Carolina and obviously yeah. ESPN's in Connecticut. Um, 
I mean, I said his name on this podcast before John Sawatsky is like, he was this former investigative reporter. He started being a talent consultant for ESPN. He worked in Bristol full time. And I mean, I'm telling you, it was gold. It was, I was like three days in a conference room, nine to five. Talk about, I, you know, it's like boring or whatever. I was yeah. absolutely fascinated by it. How to ask questions, which you can then cross over to how to host a show. Like you yeah. don't want to be the funny one. Let Bisping be the funny one. I, I need All that, that stuff. I need that. <laughs> but, but nobody told me that at, in Boston. Nobody told me yeah. that in other jobs. Nobody told me that at ESPN until this guy came down for a three-day course. I was already like a year in there. They just let people be themselves and figure it out. And then, you know, and it's tough to get that really, really good education in it. A lot of it is figuring it out. And until you get outside advice or criticism on it, like you don't even know what you're doing is wrong. The guy was just like, yeah, you're a lot of people. It's unconscious incompetence. And what you want to get is unconscious competence. And in the middle, you're going to go through conscious incompetence and (laughs) conscious. You know what I mean? Like, Um, that sphere of, uh, of what you got to go through, but that's very interesting because again, it's very impressive that you came from that outside world and have been able to play the part and kind of marry it together with the sport that you really liked. I still, I still feel like I'm, I'm faking it sometimes, but I'm, I am starting to feel, I don't know. I would say this year was the year where not that I, not that I still don't have a ton of room to grow because every broadcast I can think of like a bunch of stuff I would have done differently or said differently or phrased differently or just a a someone throwing me a softball and I totally didn't even swing at it you know stuff like that um but I will say this year is the year I was like you know what like I am I am good at this and I I can continue to get better you know and and this is something I can really I can do I liked your Instagram post I'm going to you know, this show's coming up uh, tomorrow, but this week you posted about your gratitude for the job. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, well, that's, what's that? (laughs) Well, yeah, no Instagram, but I read the, you know, I've read the post. It's like, it's a, it's a, I feel like um, since I've had this job, I've always had the gratitude for the opportunities, both professionally and just the travel and just the people. Um, And I think it, he was even has been hammered home to me to think about it all the time because I got this job after I got laid off from another job. I actually had a dream the other night that I got laid off again, but it was from ESPN. It was like the, it was like the people that I worked with at ESPN and they're like, uh, sorry. Uh, and then I like at the end of the dream, I was like, wait a second. I don't even work for you. I work for the UFC. And then I woke up and I was just like, ah, oh, that's yeah. awesome. I was like, yeah, good. I was like, but it can all be taken away. You just never know. How do you, long way of setting up this, uh, I would say last question, but you never know. Um, how do you kind of balance your gratitude for what you've been able to do in this sport and position with the ambition? Because we all have things we want to keep doing. Yeah. Um, but day to day, it's just like, well, I get to do this. Yeah. This is incredible. How could I ever, but at the same time to keep doing this, you almost have to have that drive to, to keep going. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think, and that's, I've tried to be more intentional about having that gratitude and, um, this being Thanksgiving week. Yes. Paul said it so well on the broadcast when we wrapped that last episode. And I think it applies to you and I as well, that there are thousands of people who would give anything to be in the positions that we're in. And so I can't, I can't lose sight of that. I cannot take it for granted. Not that I have to be just sort of 
happy with where I am because that's not how I'm built. That's not how I'll ever be. I'm always going to be like reaching for more. Um, but at the same time, to keep those feelings in balance, you have to uh, recognize the the blessings and the things that you've earned and just just take a minute to be like, you know what, I, I have done a lot in a short period of time and I'm proud of that. Yeah. It's like uh, when I find myself thinking about all the things that I want to do, I try to quickly you turn back to realizing all the things that I've been able to do. Yeah. I'm like, I've already got, if I, if I dropped it tomorrow, there's a bunch of cool stuff that I've done that yeah. people go a full career without being able to, to do. Exactly. Exactly. They're, they're, you're making me like have this little movie play in my head of all the, all the amazing moments that I never ever would have imagined. Like you gotta understand I was before I trained I was literally, I was just a fan. Like I watched fights on my couch, like so many millions of other people do. And I just loved it. And I ate up the sport and then I decided to train and then I decided to fight. And then like, and so, and really the journey from A to B has not in reality been all that long. So when I'm interviewing John Jones or um, having a sit down interview with Dana like there's still a part of me that's just like, how is this even happening right now? This is so weird. This is so crazy. So, and I think that that part of my brain needs to always be there so I can appreciate uh, what I've done. Well said, Laura. Happy Thanksgiving to you and the Thank family. You. you too. It was great to do this. It was. Thank you for for making time for me and for always. You, you do. Um, I always enjoy your long for, long format stuff that Thank I you. with other fighters. It's really I know and. Um, I love when I get to do them with the UFC at my back, like three camera yeah. shoot, sit down with Brian Ortega. The Ortega one did really well, yes. which we actually shot like a year ago and then the fight ha happened. But um, uh, thank you. Yeah, no, I love the, this form of interview. It's, uh, you get to learn a lot about a person. For sure, for sure. Someday I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip it around and I'm gonna interview you about all the same type of stuff. Let's do it. Oh, I want to plug your podcast with Kevin Ioli. And then the odd couple. I should have done this at the beginning. I'm going to mention it at the beginning of the show in my little intro. Okay. But when's that starting? Well, we just did like a, a practice episode just to get yeah. something up and kind of see how it was. Um, I mean, it's going to be starting with regularity within the next month, I would say. I mean, we really, we got to get some graphics pulled together and polish it up a little bit, but yeah. it's, you know, the train has left the station. Um, awesome. I, I never would have imagined he and I being a pairing, but it's kind of perfect. Like I, I, I'm writing the coattails of his credibility and I think he enjoys the like practical knowledge that I bring to our conversation. So it's a weird, we're an odd couple, but like, it's yeah. One of the things I had this thought earlier today, cause I was thinking about, I have to mention uh, your new podcast on the show. And I was just like, one of the best parts about getting older, I feel like I realized this around like 30, I feel like you have to almost get to 30 is the, are the friendships that you can have with somebody from a totally different generation. Yes. Like we had a neighbor when I was around 30, then we lived in Texas who was like 72 and he was our best friend in Texas. Yeah. This guy who just, we'd sit out front, we'd drink beers on his porch and whatever. Like he was just this nice old retired guy, lived by himself. And it was just amazing. And then um, like Robbie Fox from Barstool, he's 22. Yeah. Like we're Twitter friends and I had him on the show and he's just, he's just like, man, I like talking to you. We have similar passions. And it's just like, yeah, you know, if you have that, it takes away all you know, generational gaps in terms cool. of like. 
I don't uh, even know how old Kevin is, to be honest with you. I need to go Google it. But yeah, this isn't to be uh, unfair to Kevin, but safe no, to say he's tells, from a different generation. Well, he tells stories of like, you know, back in 85 when right. I was covering the such and such fight. And I'm like, when we're wow, toddlers. Yeah. Wealth of knowledge that yeah. I'm, I'm honored that he kind of picked me to uh, be part of it. Hey, you want to yeah. sign off? We're just wrapping up. Buddy. Oh, Burke. Thanks for uh, coming in and signing off because otherwise we would have stayed here all night do you remember how i always toss it back to brendan at the at, like after i do an interview yeah can you toss it to brendan sure yeah just so like brendan. hey back to you you're up brendan back to you, <laughs> you said brendan, back to you brendan you're up back to you <laughs> thanks burke appreciate it oh, i might borrow that brendan you're up brendan you're up then the fox people would be like laura about those tosses yeah. we talked about this yeah. All right, Laura, thanks very much. Thanks. <laughs> there you have it, interview with Laura Senko. And as I mentioned last week, after I talked with Max Griffin, I said, I'll try to get Laura, and we just did. And then I said, maybe I'll get Paul Felder, because I'm working with him this Thanksgiving weekend for the Derek Lewis-Curtis Blades fight. And I think I've lined that up as well. I think me and Paul are going to find some time to talk about his 2020. So... Uh, as always, appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that look with Laura and that conversation as we were both kind of pitching in, but really the interview with her story and how she got into MMA, how it's kind of saved her, in her words, a few different times in her life because of the headspace that you have to get into train and fight and just an activity and a hobby that allows you to put your full focus into it and doesn't let any outside distractions in. Those are the best ones. And so uh, with that, I wish everybody a very happy Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to be marching on to a busy December, a few more events on our UFC calendar before we get a few weeks off. And then what better way to start 2021 than with Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, which was just made official. So as always, thank you very much for listening. Like, subscribe, comment, whatever you want. And I'll talk to you next week, hopefully with Paul Felder. And we'll keep this train going into December. Happy holidays, everybody.